Hello and welcome to the third episode of What Are You Talking About, uh, a Star Wars podcast. I am the host, Jack Houston, and joining me as regularly is uh, my co-host, Ethan Trinchini. Hi, hello, hello. And that's, what are you, Vaughn from Community? That was three hellos. <laughs> Sorry, hi, hello, howdy. There we go. Uh, and joining us back on the show after a week's absence is uh, the throw host, uh, Ruben Trinchini. Hello. And uh, re- a returning guest, uh, Jim Greenham. Thanks for coming back. Thank you. So um, we forgot to do like our, this is happening next week mm-hmm. in last week's episode, but um, we're, doing a, we're doing movie pitches this week. So uh, we've all, <laughs> looking at Ruben, prepared a, um, a, a pitch um, and um, some of us have written it down. Some of us have most of it in our heads and some of us have nothing. Looking again at Ruben, and um, we're going to take turns and just workshop these. And these are these can be from any time. I think we've all selected different times um, and, and vastly different topics as well, which should be better than all of us picking the same thing. Um, and of course, Ruben didn't pick anything, so um, we can <laughs> we can I start- have some stuff to say about your <laughs> Oh, I bet. Um, all right. Well, let's let's just kick it off. Uh, Ethan, did you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I have not told Jack this because it wasn't in the rules, but I'm doing a TV show, not a movie. Oh. So uh, five seasons. <laughs> Two people that don't know how to follow the rules. <laughs> this is great. You're gonna have nightmares. <laughs> so. My TV show would be based around a teenager or a, someone who would be university age, because I didn't go. I don't know what age that is. But a young adult who is just in, like, school. And the I, the basic idea, before I go through the uh, series, like, mid-season ending uh, cliffhangers and stuff, is it's a character who is Force-sensitive... She lives on a planet in the mid-rim. She's not out in the middle of nowhere. She's not in Coruscant. She's just a regular character in the Star Wars universe who has no idea what the Force is, who doesn't have these big uh, ideas of complete... uh, What's it called? When you kill a bunch of people. Genocide? Who doesn't have massive genocidal thoughts. Just a regular human being living in the Star Wars universe um, who happens to have Force powers. And so the first season starts off with this character basically, um, she has the first... uh, Genocidal thought? (laughs) (laughs) She has the first uh, interaction with the Force because she is Force-sensitive. How it happens, I don't know because I obviously haven't made the TV show yet. But she she finds out that she can do something that people don't normally do um, and that is kind of a little bit... Uh, unnatural to humans, to quote Palpatine. Um, so, 
basically she gets found out by uh, Coruscant, the Inquisitor's Rolls, which mm-hmm. is the time period that I'm basing this uh, show in. The Inquisitor's Rolls is to seek out those who have the Force. And so this character displays um, Force abilities um, with a complete lack of understanding of what, of what it is and is obviously ratted out by someone or somehow... Basically, the Inquisition is... I don't actually know if that's what they're called. But the Inquisitors find out that she is um, Force-sensitive, and then she gets basically a scholarship to Coruscant. And she goes and trains with the Sith, or wherever they train. Um, And so the first... The season finale of season one is basically her being sent to Coruscant. And that's when she gets the news. And then it ends. Skip to season two, she's been in Coruscant for a while, it's her first couple of um, days of school, she gets trained in, because she still doesn't know why she's being, got this scholarship. So she's just gone to um, Coruscant, or whatever planet, for for the sake of it, we'll say Coruscant, um, but wherever the Inquisitors get trained, she's been sent there and she's gone to this school, and there's murmurings of why all of these people are being sent to this exclusive education system, and they're being taught... Just standard, um, you know, military stuff. And I kind of, the idea of this TV show was I wanted to see something that would be a realistic show, kind of ground, to ground people and to relate with Star Wars characters. Mm. So the second season, or the first season, is primarily just getting to know the universe that she lives on and being, um, uh, sorry, the planet that she lives on and getting comfortable with that. And then she gets thrown into this whole new area where, because she's not from a particularly big city, she's not from a, you know, massive part of anywhere. She's just a, like, regular old person. It's going to have, um, like, Harry Potter vibes to a sense. Dunno, haven't seen Harry Potter. Well, me neither, but just just gathering that he was a dude that lived in a stairwell and then got a scholarship <laughs> to a magic castle. Yeah, they, it sounds very similar. Now that I think about it, maybe I had a fever dream about Harry Potter and... <laughs> I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying you definitely <laughs> uh, are doing anything plagiaristic. I'm just, it's just that was kind of the vibe it seemed like you were going for. Yeah, similar vibe though. All so right, she goes off to basically this school where she gets taught to use the force. Um, and I wanted, I specifically wanted in season two for there to be... Um, or is it season three? Yeah, season two. I wanted there to be basically like propaganda. I wanted her to be taught... Like I, I want to go into the reason why there are Inquisitors that think that they're doing the right thing. Because mm. not everyone in the Empire is bad. I touched on this in the first episode of the podcast. Um, not everyone in the Empire is just a bad person. Mm. So I kind of wanted to have this um, this character that's not a bad person, but that ends up taking is taken down this path of the dark side and becomes someone who you would think killing a bunch of people at the end of her journey, would be, oh, this guy, this girl's a bad, that's a bad person. That's big for character development. It's all, it's almost like uh, Walter White and Breaking Bad. They wanted to just pick someone that was just an everyday, run-of-the-mill, suburban dad and see what would have to happen in order to turn him into Scarface. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, that is very interesting. And I think it would be a challenge as well to have, like, the viewers, because th- she's the main protagonist, I want the viewers to, to, in- to want this character to win. Sure. And so if she's going to a, a school for Inquisitors and learning to kill people, you need to have a reason behind that that is normal. And compelling, yeah. Yeah, and compelling. Um, so season two, I wanted to kind of delve into basically how the Empire makes people do the things that they do without straight up just 
everyone being bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like a brainwashing sort of... Yeah, exactly. Um, More of a brain conditioning where she's Mm. slowly taught to think the way that the Empire thinks. Um, Not through any kind of like in Chuck where they have the eyes flashing and they just know information. But like not any kind of weird... So just sort of like from a certain point of view 101. Yeah. Yeah. Just the way actual propaganda works. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it, like Straight indoctrin- up. indoctrination. Yeah. yeah. So season three, which I mean, probably that could both be in like season one, the season one that I wrote down, her up until her leaving to Coruscant could probably be the first episode. But mm, interesting. That's mm. kind of optional. I wrote this out in Depends like an hour. Depends how slow you want the series so. to be, I guess. Mm. Exactly. So season three, I wanted her to complete her training to be an Inquisitor. Um, and then she has to go, she's sent on a mission to find a Jedi, because that's what the Inquisitors do. Sure. Um, so the mid-season finale, I wanted to be her finding this Jedi, and the Jedi not to be a kid, which is what is normally the case, mm. but it's a full-fledged, legit Jedi who survived Order 66, and he's chilling, and he knows what's up. Um, and he offers to train her, because he's like, well, you're not a bad person. Um... And so she accepts, but not because she wants to become light, but because she's been taught to gather as much knowledge as you can to defeat the enemy. Mm. And so if someone's going to offer to teach you how to fight, and this chick's been taught for, what, four years, and this guy's a full-fledged Jedi, Mm. he knows, like, he would beat her in battle, which I presume is what happens in the mid-season finale, I presume, because I created the show, so that's what happens. (laughs) So (laughs) is is she going to, like... Absorb all the training she can get from him, all the while knowing that eventually she's just going to turn and kill him? Exactly. Right. And then does she eventually do that? Well, the season three ends with someone ratting on her who's found out that she's being trained by a Jedi, a fellow classmate, who's trying to get her killed. Right. Why is that? Well, because competition. Okay. The Inquisitors in Rebels, especially, have a very bantery... Ezra Bridges mine or whatever like situation going on so I kind of wanted to keep that kind of uh, consistency in this TV show even so nothing it's... petty it's not like Gossip Girl no. or anything like that <laughs> <laughs> it would be no. amazing Star Wars Gossip Girl would watch but just like there's competition in yeah, the dark side but there's no teamwork in the dark exactly side. so one of and it could like I mean she's gone to a school for Inquisitors as a young adult that could be straight up just like a bully that doesn't like her and so she, this person wants doesn't like her for whatever reason, um, but also my character, the protagonist of this show, is the best because that's how TV shows work. So obviously there's competition in the way that she's trying to be the Grand Inquisitor, mm. and so is everyone else. Everyone wants to be the next, you know, the second most powerful person in the universe. Yeah. So for that competition, she basically the the season three finale is her having to decide: is she going to kill uh, the Jedi? Or is she going to turn to the light side? Because I want the third season to be basically the Jedi slowly undoing the work of the, the Empire. Mm. So she is, as much as she doesn't want to, is slowly being taught the ways of the light side. And that what she's been taught about the Jedi is not necessarily good. Excuse the motorbike in the background. Mm. And then so I have a question about mm-hmm. Inquisitors in general. There's a thing in Star Wars where there's only ever two Sith, right? A, a, a Lord and an Apprentice. Are Inquisitors the answer to that so that there can be more of them? I think mm. it's a similar thing to Asajj Ventress being an assassin. Yeah. And not... Or, um, General Grievous. Um, in... 
Knights of the Old Republic, Star Wars The Old Republic, where um, they have the Acolytes. Mm. I feel like the Old Republic stuff is a little bit different because that's when... There that's back to- in the realm of where there was a Sith Empire that spanned right. like a lot of mm. either side. That was before the rule of two literally. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, the Inquisitors, I feel like they're a little bit of a throwback to like Mara Jade and the um, Empire, the Emperor's Hand. Um, he ha- used to have, in George Lucas's expanded universe through the books and that sort of thing, he had five Sith that weren't his apprentice but were just dark side users that he used for, yeah, assassination and various things. And I feel like the Inquisitors are kind of Disney's answer to that um, because they like to sort of... Kind of a homage to that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of... And I probably should have done more research to regards with what the Inquisitors specifically do as their... Like, is their role? But in Star Wars Rebels, that's what I'm kind of using as the comparison, which their role in Rebels is to hunt down Jedi, specifically in this... in those couple of seasons and again don't worry about not not doing enough research compared to ruben you've done tons of research so. <laughs> <laughs> He's slowly seething i can just leave <laughs> so then with the the season three finale being her having to choose between the light side or the dark side or the inquisition or um her basically new master mm. um there's two options there's the network friendly option Mm-hmm. Which is, she turns to the light side, blah, 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 cool, sounds great, all that stuff. Season four can explain, can, ex, you know, go on about how she becomes good and fights for the Empire. But my version is that she chooses to stick with the Inquisition, kills the old Jedi dude, kills the chick that rats on her, climbs to the ranks and kills her mentor from um, the Inquisition, basically the the person who trained her um and then there's a there has to be because so far and i know it's you know season four is a bit late in a tv series to give her a motivation (laughs) to do anything um but really she hasn't had any reason to do anything other than she's been given this opportunity Mm. and she's been low-key brainwashed so um in season four i wanted there to be a, a an emotional reason for her to 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 continue doing what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And as much as killing her old um, master would be that kind of Kylo Ren killing Han Solo to get that um, solidifi- solidification mm. for being stable in the dark side, um, he then tries to do it with Leia as well. And so for this chick, her problem is that she has to do it to someone in who she was very tight with in the Inquisition, who wasn't competition, who was mm. a friend, because the, like you're not going to go through that kind of thing and not have anyone that you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so either her best friend um, or master dies. Um, that's the only option that I gave. So, <laughs> <laughs> so not either. Basically, she has to kill her master or her best friend dies giving her, like, an actual motivation to try and find justice. Mm. And so then, season five, she takes on an apprentice with the aim of fighting Palpatine, of going for that, let's be the most powerful person in the galaxy. But for her reason, it's because she sees the corruption and she wants to change that. She wants Mm. to make it a good place, but she only knows how to do it from a bad section. And then I want it to end before she actually does that. 
And then Disney can put their spin-offs on the characters that have been introduced and leave it for another 15 years. Very it'd be, interesting. It'd be really interesting um, if she's back in the Inquisition and with the Inquisitors and they send her to you know kill a Force-sensitive again, but this time it isn't the Jedi and it is the little kid and that's where like you know she bonds something like that and then you know apprentice that that's a good i like that i'd be maybe interested to see um in your was it season three um rather than it just solely being her choice as to which side she'll choose it would be interesting to see her choose the inquisition but then have the inquisition hunt her and have it like if she out of rage killed the person who was her accuser Mm. and there was then no proof and she then had to um, find a way to go back to this thing. And she, like, her her um, her goal stays the same. She wants to get back into the Inquisition. But season three is about her, um, you know, trying to get back into an organi- organization that is hunting her would be maybe... Like, yeah, like a hand like gets that. forced. So that person that rats her shows up, kills the Jedi, and then says, look at this rat that I found. Mm. What are we going to do with her? Let's execute her, exile her, whatever takes her back mm-hmm. and then and then she you know and then you, you can, can have, have that conflict a, uh, between her ideology and her like organizational structure so yeah. like her personal ideology and the the structure under which that ideology exists yeah and she can still end up back in the inquisition and season four can stay the same but you can have a season three that just has a lot of conflicts because she's trying to negotiate a way back into an organization that has essentially blacklisted her mm. the there's, awesome. a of, oh, okay. there's a lot of allegories for like bureaucracy as well and how that works you know, mm. you know as you said she's she wants to become the most powerful being in the in the galaxy from like a gray almost perspective where she doesn't want to be a sith but she also doesn't want to like um you know just be this good who's yeah, she's not motivated by actual altruism yes mm. it's like she's seen some sort of um you know injustice and and yet she um so she wants to change that but she doesn't really want to affect you know she's just seen these these it's personal justice exactly Mm. it's 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 essentially it's revenge and Mm. she's justifying it as justice and that could almost be what happens at the beginning where like either like a pet or like um a friend is injured and she goes to rescue that person and Mm. in doing so accidentally force heals them and then Mm through whatever way you know they take her away to cover up they kill whatever she healed and then so she's always had that little bit of like why did this happen to me that didn't need to happen i could have done something mm. and fueled by that it's yeah, like it's good. something to prove kind of mm-hmm. or something to make up for yeah yeah because originally i was gonna go with like what i originally wrote down was because obviously there's a, quite a substantial time difference in that like normally seasons are years in tv shows sure. but in this case it would I feel like season three would skip ahead probably five years. Um, not yeah. skip ahead, but it would take, you know, it would start being a couple of years a season from season three onwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking season one being younger, it would be something more superficial as in like, I don't know, she was, have any of you guys seen um, uh, Tomorrow People? No. Yes. Oh, yeah. So it's really dumb. It's something to do with basketball that makes him realize that he has powers besides the waking up in his next door neighbor's bed. Not, well, that I remember. The basketball (laughs) thing was not super memorable. Exactly. But it was something that like, to me and you, we're like, oh, cool. But to him, it meant something. So that was my original idea. And then I kind of scrapped it because I was like, no, it probably should be something that's a little bit more 
something. So I like the idea of yeah. So I like the idea of it being someone dying and then or getting injured, her healing, and then the empire wiping it out, but having it be hush hush and Mm. her not fully knowing. I think that's an interesting thing as well because she's being carried off to be you know a real dark side. Having her powers originate in a very light side manner of healing Mm. somebody, Mm. she can have an internal conflict pretty well the entire show of. Well, I'm being trained to use these in destructive ways, but the way that I first came about knowing about them and using them was actually to help someone else. Mm. I think that can be powerful. And that kind of lends itself to why she would even like consider being trained in the light side as well, because it's something she never had the opportunity to explore. Mm. Exactly. I have a question for you. Yep. Uh, live action or animated? Okay. If it was live action, I'd want a Netflix original kind of gritty... Uh, live action for the later seasons. Obviously, the earlier seasons wouldn't be that intense, but but you'd want to hit that tone. Yeah, but I want the tone of it to be something that is relatable in a serious manner, not kind of rebelsy, yeah. and not um, Mandalorians. Plenty gritty enough, would you? Would you think? Mm. Maybe a little bit. I more think gritty. a little bit more gritty. Yeah, than if you're dealing with Inquisitors and the it's dark a, side, a, and like you know, potentially even the odd. Because um, I thought about this earlier when you were talking about how she like gets recaptured by the Inquisitors. The cool thing about the Inquisitors is they're directly under Darth Vader's authority. Mm. Um, so if you know she's trying to get back in and there's like a power struggle and there's infighting, Darth Vader's the one who comes in and cleans that up. So if she impresses him and he can come in and like lay down the law, that can be a spot where she sort of like sets her gaze a little bit higher than just the Inquisitors. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, Darth Vader can come in. He lays a smackdown on all of these, you know, really powerful Inquisitors. I I've, could be that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, she can, like, set her sights higher. She came higher. from a light place, became dark. <laughs> yeah. You know. um, but well, it also... There's only one character that knows that in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I was going to say, does anyone know that? I don't know if necessarily grit is what you'd need to go for. Uh, well, comparatively to The Mandalorian, you could almost hit a similar tone and pacing. Look, I need to watch that show again. But I think even just palette and setting is what I you want really need to change from that show is it just needs to be not quite mm. as bright yeah, I've watched it needs the, to be dark for sure. the Star Wars gallery like the behind the scenes of the Mandalorian and I think that kind of set um, quality and that kind of show quality watching it it looks like something that they're super passionate about in the Mandalorian I would love to have that be a part of the show have it be almost look like everything's on site filmed um, mm. because the night sister who is, or not a night sister, the inquisitor in rebels with the black mask mm. that like the pointy black mask, um, is a black metallic object. So you need everything to be shot on site in the same way that they did the Mandalorian for it to be truly like, um, what is it called when you're like brought into immersive. something to be a truly immersive? Mm. Yeah. So that, that would be the only reason why I would want to be do animated is because it, you I want the immersiveness to be complete. I wouldn't right. want there to be any kind of taking you out of it, which I think is easier in um, animated. Cause you're already in that, Oh, it's not immersive. And then you get used to that. Yeah. It's a bit more of a, just an, a, a it's easier to suspend disbelief a little bit when you're yeah. going into an animated world versus exactly. something that you can directly relate to because it looks like your actual mm. world. But if it was Disney, I like, I wouldn't want animated because they do add, as much as Clone Wars does have some darker, grittier vibes to it, it's still a kid's show. So it would, therefore, I wouldn't want it to be kids 
based or at least um, yeah i can't see disney making an animated series that isn't kid orientated for sure yeah. yeah so i think live action would probably be the way you might even just find that keeping the settings to cityscapes um rather than um you know the kind of like more open landscapes that you find in the mandalorian and planetscapes you might just find that if you just set it mostly on coruscant um, and you like end up with lower, a, lower, 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 yeah, lower levels. Lower yeah, well, levels. that's what I'm thinking. Mostly like nighttime shot, um, yeah. primarily in darker rooms where the Inquisitors are being trained. None of this yeah. like you know bright daytime, beautiful landscape yeah, yeah, yeah. shoots. Well, to shots. pull from to pull from uh, another IP, you could you could find yourself with something that or well, something that could work really well as more of like a Gothamy kind of style vibe. Mm-hmm. If you create that kind of you know tone and palette then it doesn't necessarily have to be grittier than something like the, the Mandalorian because if you go for you know grittier then you've got some problems with Disney whether they'll produce yeah. something like that but if you just went for something that's like visually a little darker yeah. um, has more of a gotham style vibe and then when you do move to like on location you can just mash that tone yeah it's true but if you have most of your kind of stuff especially if you're going for like a mid-rim world she can still come from a city well that was my original plan was I never like she doesn't have to be a The farmer. reason why season one was a full season on her homeworld was because I didn't want her to be in a random, like, Tatooine desert where there's nothing. I mm. wanted her to be completely satisfied in the planet that she was on and to be in a relatively built-up place within a universe where her, her dreams aren't to travel the stars like everyone else in the Star Wars universe. So she's wanted, sort of super middle class. Yeah, I just wanted her to be, like, a standard kid who was like, oh, yeah, I can become a, you know successful businessman on this planet and make enough money to go and chill in Kanto by it, you know, once every summer. Right, yep. And then she gets thrown out of that world into this grittier way mm. of living. Very interesting. Mm. I like that. Thank any, you. Uh, any other questions? No furs? There you no, go. I think that's all. Do you have a name? Do. I do not. I'll get back to you right. after the next pitch. Perfect. Uh, all right, so we're going to Jim's pitch then. Um, set in a totally different time. Yeah, yeah, mine's very, very different. Um, mine is set basically at the end of the Old Republic. So Ooh. basically, um, my I would want to set my story around Darth Bane, the creator of the rule of, rule of two. I like this because it does somewhat tie into the movies, but it's so far set back that not actually. Mm. Um, yeah, so um, it's basically when the Sith Empire is just starting its decline and the republic is you know going back up to its peak i guess um so the movie would start um with like a scene of darth bane he's sitting on like the council of darth lords as um like sith lords as they used to back when they were a fully fledged empire um and so there's a particular planet that the jedi have that is a prison world where they've captured a lot of Sith lords and the Sith are losing the war, so they want these um, prisoners liberated. Um, but this planet is um, set, it's like on the sort of edge-ish of the galaxy, wasn't travelled too much, they never travelled out. But um, one day a Jedi did go there for some random reason, he's not really all that important, but he finds a Force-sensitive um, kid there, you know, general sort of thing takes him back trains him as a jedi but this particular jedi had 
um, a really strong ability for force visions and telling the future. And he foresees that his planet where he came from is going to be destroyed by like a massive meteor shower. So um, he he and the Jedi set up a shield generator planet-wide, saves a planet. So they're like, yep, build a temple, you know, and like they have a really good trust with each other, I guess. And, um, you know, a lot of younglings get taken in from the planet. And it's like a really strong force-sensitive type planet, you know, like really strong in the light side. Um, and so, um, yeah, he becomes a Jedi Master eventually. And that's so, like, when he's a Jedi Master and the planet's saved and everything like that is good is when um, Darth Bane and that... And that's... So, like, that's then the prison planet that this... I guess Act 1 is centred around because um, it would probably be a movie or a set of movies um, don't know how many because I haven't actually really written the ending to it but we can uh, fix that but um, so what I was um, really really wanted to f- sort of focus on was Darth Bane goes there um, you know a pun- bunch of other Sith Lords that aren't on the council but lower level you know like pledge their support there's like a tiered power structure within the sith so obviously the ones below want to get higher and that sort of thing um so the idea is to capture the power generator leverage that like oh we'll turn off the shield if you don't release the prisoners Mm -hmm. so they like make up a strike force and they want to you know capture that um one of the sith lords and his apprentices or you know assassin droids maybe throwing a little like hk um 47 reference in there because Meat bags. Mm-hmm. Um, they, so, I'm sort of like, it's it's not fully in uh, sequence, but so Darth Bane meets this Jedi master who has the visions and is really good at telling the future on the steps of the, you know, big Jedi temple palace that houses the shield generator. And they're like battling it out on the steps. There's, you know, a hundred Sith, a hundred Jedi, like massive battle. It's going crazy. It's all good. And then um, the assassin droids infiltrate the building. And so just as Darth Bane kills this Sith, uh, this Jedi master, he falls to the ground. He picks up his lightsaber. The lightsaber shows Bane a vision, like, you know, from that master of the impending destruction because those droids are about to blow up the shield generator and not capture it because the lower level Sith Lords are, what's the term? Um, Mutining? Sorry? Mutining? Yeah, yeah. Um, like undermining mm-hmm. or like sabotage, sabotaging his plan, sabotaging his success to gain, you know, a spot on the council to raise themselves up. So, you know, he sees a vision of the sabotage. He sees a vision all the way through the destruction of the Sith Empire, all the way down to like this mysterious Sith Lord who rules the galaxy with just him and just his apprentice. So it's like he sees a vision, like not actually of Palpatine, but, you know, like a mysterious dark figure, but we all know who it is. And so from that, he concludes the rule of two. So he like runs, just leaves all of his forces behind, gets to his ship, just gets off planet before, you know, the shield goes down, the planet's destroyed. And, you know, he leaves, he goes back to the Sith, but, you know, he gets downcast because he failed, but he was sabotaged. So, you know, he's got a lot of hate going on for that. But, 
yeah, that's kind of the premise, I guess, of mm. what I would base a lot of it on. Um, and and so, so he he from there he basically wants to like mastermind the destruction of the Sith Empire from within, leaving himself the only survivor with his apprentice, so that he can start his own like you know Sith conspiracy to one day like his vision showed control the galaxy with the Sith because mm. Darth Bane always had like the long term goal of him not ruling the galaxy but you know, one of his rule of two, for lack of a better term, descendants ruling the galaxy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I also like the idea of more or less a dark side character as being kind of the main protagonist. Like, you could have a strong Jedi, you know, back and forth type figure in there as well. But, um, yeah. We kind of already do that with the creation of the shield generator and that mm. guy's visions, and in fact, then he, as a, like as his ability is the forerunner for this entire Sith, you know, um, heritage. Mm. I wonder if your ending could be um, if we're going to keep it dark side, let's go proper dark side and um, have him find an apprentice, and then destroy the rest of the Sith Empire, consolidating his power. Yeah. yeah. That might be just a really... I mean, go just all out destruction. Yeah. End with him literally on a throne. Yeah, the last... Cut like, to black. The last scene, like, 100%, I would, I would want it so that he, like, just sort of like Thrawn type thing, like master strategist, like, plans and weaves this like massive web and then in one moment it culminates in the utter destruction of everything around him with him just standing there with his apprentice like just watching it happen yeah yeah yeah, and just laughing as you know all of all of the naysayers i guess and like all the other sith lords fall to you know their death well not literally but you know figuratively Mm. are all destroyed and he's yeah at at the top yeah or literally you know (laughs) yeah but that that would be, and like I said, I like how it sort of ties into you know the main films. It gives a little bit of backstory to this rule of two and why mm. you know the Sith do things that way because the Sith always have been you know like ultimate or limitless power, you know mm. rule breakers and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, there's like a there's always one master and apprentice. There can't be any more. And it's like, mm. well, why didn't some Sith Lord somewhere down the line just you know? break it and it's like well they have this you know set um example of why a giant sith empire like that really didn't work so the rule of two must be adhered to i would really like a mainstream um explanation of the rule of two because i i don't know i kind of like the um jack's gonna disagree with me the episode eight kind of breaking or, or the the explanation of Jedi versus Sith as being like a creed or a doctrine rather than a, like a like a universal biological necessity. Mm. And it kind of, I feel like the rule of two based on the prequels, especially, it feels like there can only be two. And that that is something that is like, it's like physics. It cannot be broken. Um, but... 
I guess when you explore the extended universe, you realize very quickly that it can be, but there is no like mainstream explanation. It, it does feel like that is an, an absolute constant. And it would be good. I think it would be cool to explore how that is. It's a, it's a doctrine. It's a creed. And yeah. The reason uh, behind that. Are Sith like fairly superstitious as well? Because if that's, if that's a trait of a Sith, you know, and they see like, well, for so long, twos worked out pretty damn well. And before that, when there wasn't two, it worked bad. Just in this heavily, because like you know, even in like the ancestor worship sort of thing, and even when you find out that when you strike a Sith down, but essentially they like continue on inside them, Mm. then that sort of thing of like, well, we kind of all do exist, but as long as we adhere to this thing, we Mm. we will eventually get to this goal that like Darth Bane saw. So like this is just what we have to do, Mm. and we'll get there, and it'll be all G. I think. I think it will be interesting to see how Disney, um, and I keep saying it with this High Republic thing, that they're, you know, it's just like just bubbling under the surface. Um, Because it does seem like Disney's answer to the Old Republic, whether or not that will be a, you know, big scale Sith versus Republic, you know, Empire versus Republic sort of thing, or if it will be more of a rule of two. Um, I kind of doubt that because they are setting it quite a few years I think it's in the realm of, you know, 100 or two years before, you know, the first, like, episode one. So I'm kind of hoping they, you know, do explore a little bit of this. Um, but, yeah, it will be interesting because, yeah, for a long time, you know, I, I think it's generations before Palpatine that the rule of two has been a thing. Mm. To go back to your um, original pitch idea, I would love to see the ending of that be... Um, Bane's apprentice killing Bane and just mm. standing over him with an apprentice behind. Like, yeah. he's had a secret apprentice this whole time, knowing what Bane had taught him and what had Bane had shared with him. Mm. This apprentice could have gone, well, I don't want to be the second in command. Why can't I be first? I know how Bane works. Once he's carried out his plan, which will succeed... I'll strike him down and I'll be that man from the vision because he yeah. doesn't know that it's not Pal- that mm. it's Palpatine and, and yeah. Vader. It'd be, it'd be interesting. And so he could think that, well, that's me. Because yeah. Yeah. Bane that thinks that's first. him and he thinks like... Yeah, I would kind of have it that Bane knew it was never going to be him. Okay. Like yeah. he, he saw like a long line or like a, you know, a trailing thing of like dark figures that culminate in like basically a... Don't mind the car. Um, <laughs> you know, like... A figure that's basically Palpatine, but you know you don't see it. Like he or even see... Palpatine's seat, because that's such yeah. an iconic mm. seat. Yeah. Or you just hear his. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, his cackle or yeah. something like that. Just we could even use that soundbite. <laughs> yeah. so but even more to that, it would be good. Like to, to Jim and Ethan's point, that Bane even knew that he would be killed by his apprentice. Like he saw even that, and so his apprentice like is about to kill him, and Bane's like, "I always knew it would end this way," kind of thing. Mm. And that that wouldn't be too bad because then that also starts this lineage of apprentices killing their masters and mm. and so then like it still as Jim said heavily relates to the Skywalker saga and it, and that's what people like are gonna get like the goosebumps for or the mm. like kind of like forward nostalgia mm. is like then knowing like okay so this is where the the rule of two comes from. And this is also where the apprentices kill their masters come from? Mm. Damn, these are so many answers. 
Mm. Yeah. Throw and a little John Williams score over that kind mm. of those yeah. moments. And, yeah. 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 I think, I think there's a, the potential for a lot of powerful moments. I also want sort of an ex, um, him exploring like the dark side lore. Like, you know, Palpatine has these abilities of surviving death and that sort of thing. And him, you know, like going on a mini journey with his apprentice type thing and learning secrets, finding holocrons, doing all of this, like, you know, ground level work to build his power so that he can, you know, overthrow and ensure the Sith's like all he lives for is the actual Sith's long term success. Mm. You know? And that's what he built the plan around that vision for. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I like it. So two cracking pictures so far. Ruben, what do you think? It's great. Yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah, good. That's that's all we're after. So this is where Ruben's going to turn from his thumbs up to a thumbs down. I'll start my pitch. Oh, just before you do that, if that's all right, <laughs> some of the listeners might be slightly annoyed that we glossed over with the rule of twos. There is, in season five, a section in Clone Wars, which I'm not going to explain because Jackie hasn't seen it, but it does touch on the rule of twos um, and how that works. That's where they do, I think, do they talk about... Darth Bane in that because I remember him being um, like a Legends character and then I think he's brought back purely in reference by name only and no storyline more or less attached but he's like a I think in season 6 force ghost type thing with yeah. Yoda which is like a bit of a yeah. odd I think he's actually in it he's like mm. a physical force ghost yeah. um, because Yoda's like anyway there's a bunch of the old Sith Lords Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to mention that like we know that that's a thing but for the, the in-purposes of, like Ruben was saying, mainstream, mm. uh, he would have, like, a, a mainstream definition for that because not everyone's seen the fifth and sixth season of the yeah. animated TV series of Star Wars. Even someone who's hosting a Star Wars podcast. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, sorry, so, as you were, Jack. No, no, well, one last thing for Jim, if there's no thirds. Uh, do you have a name? Um, no, not really. I mean... Maybe just Bane. I'm not sure. Mm. The I mean, Dark Knight yeah. returns. I mean, <laughs> I'm getting that mixed up on it. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm not. I'm not real sure. I'm not good with names. Like even I sort of thought of random names for like that Jedi Master and the planet and that sort of thing. And I was like, ah, oh, these names suck. <laughs> so I just didn't use them because um, I can't name a damn thing. <laughs> All right, very good. Yeah. All right, well, mine is. Um, a story I've kind of been workshopping for a number of years. Um, uh, probably four or five years ago, a friend of mine, Sam, said, hey, if you had to just come up with a random story, um, a random character, I think it was, what would it be? Go. We're just on a car trip. He's like, let's do it. And I was like, all right. So I came up with uh, a bounty hunter, and the, the movie's name is Lance Vardo Jedi Hunter. Right? So the movie's set somewhere between 17 to 13 BBY. I'm liking the vibe. Can you explain what BBY is for it's, those? It's uh, before the Battle of... Is it Yavin? Mm-hmm. Yep. Nice. Nailed it. Um, I have another planet in here that starts with a Y, and that was in my head. Um, so the main story takes place on this planet. Uh, I think it's Yanni Bar, but it could be Yanni Bar. could also be Laurel Bar, depending on which one you hear. <laughs> um, Please leave it. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so this is a planet located in wild space. Um, and then from the Wikipedia article on it, I'll just read directly from that. It's a planet in wild space known for it, 
known for its blistering dry summers and wet frigid winters, barely habitable by humans and other similar species. It was nevertheless colonized by a group of Jedi and their relatives seeking refuge from the predations of the Sith. The planet remained isolated for years as it was forgotten by the Jedi who remained in the galaxy. At the same time, many of the colonists did not survive Yanabar's harsh conditions. Those who did survive formed their own force tradition named the Zijon Shah, which developed decidedly anti-Jedi traits. Yanibar later became somewhat known to the galaxy as a stopping point for fringe traders, developing a spaceport and a well-founded city that served as a crossroads between the Outer Rim and Unknown Regions. The world resisted attempts at Imperial occupation and remained inhabited by the Zijon Shah into the Yuzhan Vong War. Mm. Lots of names in there. Yeah, so, so that's definitely a legend. Yes. Um, but this particular storyline follows a young bounty hunter hired by the Empire in order to hunt down the remainder of the Jedi who escaped Order 66 and who are now at this point scattered around the galaxy. At the start of the movie, um, it's all action from Order 66, seeing people get mowed down, some escaping, etc. Um, maybe we see Mace Windu getting captured in that little um, hover jet and being taken off somewhere, so we can make that canon. Um, and then um, after all this big you know, um, battle, a title screen says two years later, and we find ourselves on Yanibar. Um, so... Talking about, and I mentioned it in the um, in that Wikipedia article, but it is important to note that there was a group of Jedi called the Zejon Shah who inhabited the planet for many, many years beforehand. They created all sorts of new orders and traditions, including that Force-sensitive children not be made to live in the Jedi Temple, and they in fact encouraged a normal family life for children. So while their traits were decidedly not Jedi, they weren't really evil either. So just it's interesting to note that. So we're on Yanibar during its wet season and this particular Jedi master who has a small dwelling near a wooded area um, on some abandoned farmland and we see um, him trying to establish a reconnection with the force after, you know, Order 66 and everything's in shambles. Um, so he's running training courses, he's set up in the forest, he's practicing lifting a series of large rocks from the cliffs nearby. Um, then a changing of seasons indicates significant times passing, you know, blistering hot, cold, hot, cold. So a few years here, um, gradually we see him regaining strength in the force. And then the movie shifts perspectives and we begin to see the opposite side of the conflict. It's a dingy cantina style bar in an industrial city. Maybe like, um, like, is it Coronet City um, on the planet Corellia? Um, so we see a few sets uh, of Imperial troopers kind of throughout that city, um, but we follow a small group of, of troopers escorting an Imperial officer through the aforementioned bar, um, through the main hustle and bustle of miscreants, merchants, uh, through to another largest room in the back, kind of like Mandalorian vibes, um, where there's all these bounty hunters sitting and drinking. Um, right in there, we could easily have a few cameos have Boba Fett chilling in the background, um, all sorts of people. Um, Bobby Fricks. We could have some Bobby Fricks. That would be tight. Um, maybe a little wanted poster with Bobby Frick on it. That'd be cool. Um, and then, so these this group approached this young Jedi. Um, no, not young Jedi. This young bounty hunter named Lance Vado and explained the long contract they have in offer. 
Um, and the fact that many Jedi's escaped the original coal and that they now need to be weeded out. He asks, you know, why me? And they said that they've heard good things about him. And for someone that's so young and new to the game, generating so much chatter, it seems like he might be the one to get this job done correctly and quickly. Because, obviously, the quicker the Jedi are extinct, the less chance they have of regaining their strength, etc. So, uh, Vardo takes up the contract, and you see him gearing up and traveling to a planet. Um, you see him hunt down and kill a few Jedi apprentices. That's the first one. So, they um, they got out, and they were hiding together, just the two of them. Um, and their masters didn't make it out of life. So, they were kind of, like, not sure what to do, and they didn't think they'd be found. And Anyway, so he shows up, kills them. Um, and then you see him go on another couple of missions. Um, one, he gets there and um, it's like this Jedi who was severely wounded in 66. So he's just this like hobbled mess. And he just like basically walks up to him, psh, just kills him. Um, so <clears throat> the next target after a few of those you see that he acquires is of this Jedi on Yanibar that we started out at the start of the movie. So then there's a scene of him landing his ship um, in this half-emerging spaceport um, on the planet and he makes a few inquiries in the city about the whereabouts of the groups of fringe Jedis residing on the planet. Um, so he's really asking about the types of force use these groups are engaging in and we then find out um, that they have fallen away from the strict traditions of the Jedi and have also done away with a lot of their usual affiliations and beliefs, many leaning towards the path of grey Jedis. So Lance asks about this because although never being trained, when he was younger, he saw many Jedis while he was growing up and saw the way they channeled the Force and has a respect not really for Jedis or Sith themselves, but for the power that they can wield um, in a way that he knows it's not something to be underestimated. Um, so one of these Grey's Jedis is none other than the target that Lance is hunting down. So with his new knowledge, he leaves the city and travels to a clearing a few kilometers away from where the Jedi's little dwelling is and sets up a vantage point on the edge of the cliffs um, that overlooks the valley where the dude lives. He then stays there camouflaged for, you know, we're going to make it like probably around 15 hours or so trying to gauge the Jedi's movement and actions overnight with his plan being to progress the next night into a, a vantage point where you can just boom, kill him while he sleeps or something like that. So the next morning, kind of early morning, he sees the Jedi finally leave his house and he's like stripping off some like Imperial vehicle for parts or whatever. So realizing that this whole thing might be easier than he thought, he's just sitting out in the middle of nowhere just working manual labor. He um, gets out his sniper rifle um, and he decides he's just going to line him up. So he's going dead to rights in the crosshair and then he goes to pull the trigger and the trigger just jams. He can't move it even a little bit. So he pulls the rifle up and pulls and pulls, but absolutely nothing. And then the cliff edge where his camp starts to rumble and then crumble and he then falls off the edge. So he ignites his boosters and, um, you know, kind of flies a little bit, roughly hits the ground, like medium speed, gets up a bit dazed about what's happened. Um, and then so he grabs his gun again and trains it back to where the Jedi was working, but he isn't there now. Um, and like for spatial awareness, he's within like about a hundred meters of the Jedi's house now. So it's pretty close. Um, but so then, um, he realizes that the Jedi can probably has seen that happen. Um, and then obviously find out that, that the Jedi actually caused that to happen. So he kind of knew the whole time he was being watched. 
Um, so with blasters drawn, he like just like bolts towards the house. Um, and as he does that, the giant just comes kind of like out of sight of screen and just absolutely just knocks him flying. Full coat hanger. Yeah, absolutely. Just Can I just add to that? Um, he, he should definitely do what Darth Vader did um, in, what is it, episode five? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say five, but I may be wrong. And he should actually shoot the dude, and he just like straight palms it and just catches the bolt. Like, oh, there needs in, to be more of that in Star Wars. In, in Cloud City. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. At dinner, mm. um, you don't have to. I'm just saying. No, I like that. He's uh, running towards him. He's shooting him. He just like catches him. Bam! Knocks him out. Mm, that would be good. All right. So I like then. It. <laughs> so they continue fighting for some time. Um, the Jedi, while being strong in the Force, is finding himself out of battle practice, being isolated for so long. Um, Lance is also moving super quickly. Um, his kind of setup is that while he has armor, is built for mobility because he knows he's going after Jedi. They're quite sprightly. He needs to be able to move quick, right? Um, so he's, he also, the Jedi is missing, seems to have the ability to break... The forces hold on him after a few moments, so he can like lift him up out of the air. But then he Lance has the ability to like turn on his thrusters and get out of that hold. So mm-hmm. there's something a little bit amiss. This goes back to him, um, you know, having seen Jedi when he was younger, and maybe actually he may have been force sensitive. And as Ethan said, he just never had any instruction at all. Mm-hmm. He was just a bounty hunter, and that was it. Um, but can also lend to the reason why he's so good for his age because you know like that instinctual awareness that force sensitivity like, with the bounty hunting career like anakin give, in pod racing in pod he racing. just has that natural yeah. yeah um so yeah so lance's constant blaster attacks along with tactical grenade throws allowed him to overwhelm the jedi in a few cases throughout the battle but at one point, he just throws a grenade at the Jedi. The Jedi pushes it up in the air and then, like, immediately pulls Lance towards him and up towards the grenade. The grenade then blows him down into the sand, like, completely knocking his blasters away from him. And the Jedi, with lightsaber drawn, just basically paces up to him and is like, you know, I've got you beat. But then, so, this is where it gets a little bit unclear as to how the Jedi then realizes that he is Force-sensitive. Maybe, um... I was thinking a good way to do it would be that, you know, this this uh, bounty hunter knows when he's been beat, so he doesn't even worry going for his guns, but he the Jedi hears in his head, please don't kill me. And so he's like, well, there was some telepathy or something happening there, and he goes, so he turns off his lightsaber and he's like, I won't kill you if you let me train you, because he never had an apprentice, whatever, this is a good time, let's do this. So then they make the bite of that, in order to spare his life, he will then commit his life to being trained as a Jedi. So then the next scene, and this is kind of like, I guess, just over a third of the movie. So then the next section of the movie is him being trained up. Um, and obviously, again, we see the, the changing of the seasons, indicating that this is quite a journey and he is also growing exponentially. I mean, he's already got the tactical advantage of being trained as a bounty hunter, so he's not a numpty he's got battle like training already um and then yeah so basically just treating teaching him how to engage and with the force in a super productive way um and then um at one point um kind of after this kind of not montage but this sequence finishes uh the jedi master is like all right i need you to go run this course in the forest 
the one I used to run. I want to like see you beat it in whatever time. But obviously some time's passed and from the Empire's perspective, they've got this young hotshot who's just killed like four Jedi in the space of like a month and then gone off the radar for ages. And they're like, all right, we're going to send someone else to finish his job. Um, they assume that the Jedi just killed him. Um, and because, you know, it's just he's just a hired gun. They don't have any compassion for him. They're like, oh, we'll just find someone else to do the job. Mm. So then while he's gone, this other experienced bounty hunter shows up and engages in battle with the, with the master. And so um, he's running the course. He finishes the course and he's on his way back and he hears this commotion. And he, like, races back to the, like, dwelling where they've been just in time to see this other bounty hunter kill the master. And so this is, like, one of the first times he's ever had um, anyone take, like, an, an interest in him that wasn't for, like, their own personal gain of, like, you know, I need... Kind of like Star-Lord and, and in... Um, Unleashed. Guardians of the Galaxy is what I was talking about, where, oh. um, you know, Yandu takes him in sorry. and, you know, like... that. Um, Yandu takes him in because you know he's little he's good for sneaking into places so it's like he's always just been taken advantage of here's a Jedi that takes an interest in him he's finally teaching him you know and then he sees him murdered in front of him so in this like huge fit of rage he just boom and then like seconds later kills this bounty hunter like it's not even a fight just boosh, dead and then so he realizes then that the reason that this Jedi died, he puts two and two together, was that the Empire obviously hired a replacement and it's the Empire's fault that the only person that ever cared about him is now dead. So then he goes, All right, I'm going to flip the switch. And as a grey Jedi bounty hunter, decides to just hunt down the Empire from like the other angle. And then that's where the, it ends. I wonder, He's a reverse Inquisitor. He's a reverse Inquisitor. Mm. I wonder if you are... <laughs> oh boy. If you're heading down the, um, cause it does seem like he becomes a hero. He goes on sort of a hero's journey versus an anti-hero. Mm. And I wonder if you're in your first act rather than, um, just killing the first two Jedis. I wonder if it actually shows more skill for him to capture and deliver. So mm. rather than he's still... He's still mercilessly capturing Jedis and sending them to their deaths, but he's not actually pulling the trigger. Mm. And then in his first kill of the hobbled Jedi, I wonder if that being a mercy killing or having an aspect of mercy killing actually leans into this kind of slightly more morally ambiguous mm. character rather than just making him like, this is a bad guy who becomes a good guy. Mm. Just give him a little bit more kind of like start him out as a morally gray kind of character from the beginning. Mm. I think that works. Yeah. I like that. Mm. I like that. Me too. That was way more positive than I was expecting it to be. So. <laughs> oh, I, I hated everyone. was <laughs> a page one rewrite. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I don't really have an ending for that because obviously the way, where that sits, um, it's all just before a new hope. So you obviously doesn't have like a huge impact in, um, the empire's fall in, in a new hope or anything like that, but it would mainly be like, it could even be like a rogue one type story where he basically goes and just, you know, kills as many people as he can knowing that. If he dies, that it doesn't matter, kind of thing. So, 
his final mission, he succeeds, but perishes. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. Mm. And name? Uh, I, the working title was just Lance Vardo Je- Jedi Hunter. Which, oh yeah, you started with that. It was, yeah. It's a it's a pal, It's a good name. It got me hooked from the start. Well, because I didn't realize until I was actually looking into about like um like Yanni Bar and um all those like the Corellia and all that they were actually Jedi hunters and I think Grievous was one of them, um and that sort of thing. So it's already a pre existing thing. I was just kind of mm. it's kind of a thing that goes both ways because at the start he hunts Jedi's so he's a Jedi hunter. But at the end, he's a bounty hunter that's also a Jedi. So you just merge those Jedi hunter. So works on multiple levels, and I like puns. So <laughs> I think it would be interesting too if he is, you know, somewhat like a Jedi, but he doesn't then really use his lightsaber. Like his grounding is in, um, you know, bounty hunting. So he's like a force wielder that like is using guns, but using the force in a way that you know, like pulling a stormtrooper out of cover and just blasting him type thing and mm. you know like leaning away so much from like the the typical jedi and seeing something a little bit different as far as like combat with the force but you know i like the idea of that because well. i think um what's always interested me about the mandalorians is the battle of mandalore where you had a bunch of just people who fought with guns and and hand-to-hand combat and, I mean, flamethrowers and jetpacks and stuff, but without lightsabers, fighting a bunch of Jedi, and supposedly, like, Mandalorians could kill Jedi, and Mm. we've seen that in Star Wars canon before, that they can put up a pretty good fight. So, I think the idea of having a a bounty hunter that doesn't use, like, a trained force user who doesn't use the lightsaber could be an interesting, um, like, novel angle for... Well, that could even be how, like... You know, he, he kills him without even a fight. He sees him die and just in rage, like, rips the dude's helmet off and just shoots him in the head. And the dude doesn't even see it coming because mm. he doesn't know there's a second person. Mm. You know, so he's just, like, instantaneous. I do wonder if that moment would be a little bit more powerful, both emotionally and as, as, as a display, if the, uh, the more experienced bounty hunter... You know, if he screams in rage, the more experienced bounty hunter sees him and lines him up and makes an attempt. So there is a a battle and you get to mm. see that he is better than this guy or that he succeeds against this guy versus sneaking up on him or the guy not being aware of him being there. Mm. But like it is actually a um a contest. Sure. Even if or he just like throws the lightsaber through the bounty hunter off. You could cut out my suggestion from before and if the like more experienced bounty hunters like you know pulling tricks and shooting at him and he's just like swatting basically the dude's blasters away like in a fit of utter rage his powers are heightened and he's just like pushing bolts yeah (laughs) yeah just like swatting them away just walking towards him like grabs him demolishes him like pounds him to the ground type thing with the force or something you know just like a moment of like rage and power but just over just overwhelms the dude Mm. um which yeah would be kind of crazy could be well, that's that's the three pitches. Unless Ruben, did you think of anything? Well, I can I can pitch you the kind of area that I was kind of workshopping. Nah, nah, I'd love it. Go ahead. <laughs> so, what I kind of want to see, I believe I said in our first episode that I I don't like 
the way it fits into episode eight, but I do like what Canto Bight does for the Star Wars universe in mm-hmm. showing something outside of that very black and white, very binary battle between good and evil that we've seen a trillion times in films. And what I'm about to suggest, we've also seen a trillion times, but it's just not something that... Um, it, it just Look, I want to do a heist film, which we have seen in Star Wars. We've seen a couple. Um, but what I want to see, my kind of like... My my elevator pitch is Edgar Wright's Ocean's 8 on Canto Bite. That's kind of what I want to see. <laughs> you know? Um, I want to see something that is um, a bit more fun and a bit more poppy. Mm-hmm. Um, in sort of like a Scott Pilgrim vibe. Mm. Not quite as comic booky, obviously. But that kind of like really high energy... Um, kind of concept because Ocean's 8 isn't high energy enough for what I'm kind of visualizing. Uh, a, a smart um, heist film, but that does not have the very classic heist film um, where they kind of, the sort of, the finale is them repeating everything that's happened in the film and showing what's actually happening. I don't want that. I want it to go really wrong in Act 3. Um, in my mind, what I really want to see to tie it to the Star Wars that we love, lightsabers and the Force, I'd love for um, our team to break into the safe or whatever it is, the vault, but to succeed in their goal, collect a bunch of credits Mm. um, and a lightsaber. Oh. And what I want to see with that is then them trying to, them failing to um, slickly escape and being pursued. And that's where I want to see some combat coming into it. And I'd love to see a lightsaber being used as a blunt weapon. Uh, Mm. I want to see like several combat scenes where the lightsaber is being used as like a stick. I want to see someone throw a lightsaber at someone's head and unignited, (laughs) having no idea what it is. You know what I mean? I want to see like one of the most elegant, most powerful weapons ever being used as as, a club, as a club, as a civilized man. Yeah. You know, as essentially like a roll of quarters yeah. as someone punches someone. That's <laughs> what I want to see. And then I, I, you know, you can have two or three scenes of that. And then you can have the lightsaber accidentally ignite, probably into someone. Um, and and then the moment on, you know, one of our team of heroes faces when they're like, oh, right. <laughs> That's cool. what we can do with this. So I want to see some really, really inelegant, like you know, kids in a backyard with sticks playing swords with a lightsaber um, as part of that combat with people who just aren't into it. I don't want to see the Empire and I don't want to see um, the Republic. I just want them to be robbing a casino that is run by a bunch of really, really nasty mobsters and they're pretty good, but not good enough not to get Mm. found out and then have them escaping and have our kind of cool Star Wars-y moments of combat there. But yeah, I want something that's like high energy high vibrancy kind of pretty Edgar funny Wright too style. there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of humor in that or you know you what, what like he directed it could be cool what i want to see actually is edgar wright's ant-man that mm. we never got to see and just put it in star wars <laughs> that's what i want a, a yeah. comedy a comedy heist or the other kind of option that i want to go with and i think it could work really interestingly with that same kind of sense of combat with the the lightsaber that I was talking about, but you could do a much more serious vibe, kind of very um, high, very highly strung um, espionage thriller. Again, maybe make it corporate espionage. Mm -hmm. So I think that whole idea of um, everyone's making, all, all of these uber rich people that have this kind of barrier 
from the conflict are making starships for both sides and just have it be a corporate espionage thriller where someone's come up with a new design, it's going to revolutionize whatever and make them a whole bunch of money. Somebody else sends someone in to steal that design. Um, have you would need to have a real sense of threat and peril. Um, and then, yeah, the same thing. In succeeding, they come across a lightsaber. In escaping, they use that lightsaber as a blunt weapon. But the kind of the vibe of those combat scenes would be very different mm. and not like a comedy. But I want to see something that is that is in the world of Star Wars that is, I guess, directly related to what we know, but also doesn't contain any of those kind of standard elements. I just want to see something that's, that, from a character perspective, is completely separate from the Skywalkers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to see something that is re- in that universe but that expands that universe out in the way that so much of the sort of the legacy stuff, the ex- expanded universe that isn't canon, it has a lot of stuff in there that doesn't, that isn't just Skywalker related. Mm. And I'd love to see, I, I just feel like the, the Star Wars kind of film universe has so much room for expansion that they're kind of yeah. just not currently doing. And I think like something that is, directly to the side of uh, one of the films would be a good kind of jumping off point. And something that has a really different vibe. I think if it's done really well, it's not like they haven't earned it. Mm. And I feel like this last trilogy was fairly disastrous in hindsight, Mm. but also has made a whole lot of money and I don't think has hurt The Mandalorian in any way or the animated series in any way. There is a huge appetite by Star Wars fans ones who loved and ones who hated anyone, all three of the latest films would absolutely still go back for a new Star Wars film. I do think they have the um, the clout to make something that feels really different because they've made bad films. They've made really bad films and we keep going back for more. So why not try something that's just different? People might hate it, but hey, they hate the prequels. So I think they've done that to a certain extent with The Mandalorian. They've experimented with, what was it, five direct different directors. One mm. that had never even directed live action before, although being Dave Filoni, so not exactly an unsafe bet. But mm. um, yeah. they've seen that that's possible. And now they're going with Taika Waititi, someone who was a, an originally an indie um, director and and he like comedy stand up like not stand up but well. um like skit sketch kind of mm. um upbringing so I feel like they are now getting to a point where they they're gonna throw out some more left of field or at least try and and stray a little bit away now that they've seen that it it is a success or at least that's what I'm hoping for I just feel like critically critically and creatively in a lot of ways the latest trilogy. And even the trilogy before that failed. Commercially, there were huge successes. Yeah. So why not take more risks? Yeah, you know what I mean? I feel like when we're talking about spin-off films, um, a Rogue One and then the Han Solo film um, like can't be ignored because Rogue One, I feel, was fantastic. And that's mm. kind of even... The Rogue One sort of deal is, I guess, sort of almost the side that I come from with my like Darth Bane idea. is like, it's... It contributes to the plot, but it doesn't alter it, Yeah. you know? Um, and then, like, um, then you have, on the other hand, the solo film, which just sucked. Uh, like, th- that's just my opinion, but I I very much dislike that film. Adding stuff like 
the old robot becoming part of the Millennium Falcon, which then just changes the whole mm. deal of the Millennium Falcon and what we've known of that ship throughout the whole Star Wars universe and the whole timeline. I was like, that's not okay. You just can't rewrite mm-hmm. history like that. You know, like I thoroughly disliked that. But so, so like there is a spot where if you do these spin-off movies wrong, and I feel because yeah. that wasn't, I don't think, even really a commercial. No, success. that was that was technically. I'm sure they made money on it, but technically, it was run out of Yeah, it, it at the very least didn't make the kind of money they wanted it or no. aimed it to. No. Um, whereas Rogue One, I feel, was fine critically. I've never yeah. really heard anything terrible nope. about it. Like, even in comparison to the last trilogy, Rogue One probably holds up in most people's opinion better than than those yeah. three films. Um, so yeah, I think it's an interesting spot. I really liked the idea of like the, um, the heist when mm. you first said it, I thought you were going for like an, um, the emperor's, um, vault mm. on Coruscant or something like that. Mm. Like, I know you said you wanted to steer away from the empire. That was just my like first thought when you yeah. said heist. Cause I was like Coruscant emperor's vault. There's a lot of like, potential there. <laughs> yeah. There's, and it, like high stakes, mm. you know, you can leave that. Like, you can never see Darth Vader, never see mm. the Emperor, you know, stormtroopers here or there or whatever, mm. you know, put a, like, I- Imperial agent like Thrawn or something or some some cool, like, you know, not exactly like Thrawn, but, you know. Or exactly like Thrawn. Or, Thrawn's yeah. a great character. Yeah, and, like, Thrawn's have, got better things to do than protect the Palpatine's vault, though. Probably. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, have some, like, administrator-type dude on Coruscant mm. who's a really good villain, but you know, like your yeah. your idea is good. I'm not rewriting your your movie. That's just no. That works for me. That that really does. I just want to see something that, yeah, like I said, character that just doesn't have a lot of character overlap. Yeah, and the emperor I... has like a lot of money. He has a lot of stuff. The vault would be a you know it'd be worth robbing. <laughs> yeah, and whether it's like a lightsaber, or a holocron, a Sith mm. artifact, something that's you know cool, unique. You know, even if and the sun- next movie could be uh, Palpatine hunting down these people and just destroying them because they stole. The next movie lasts for three and a half minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's just him flying into a planet and then a scene of just zoom, 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 and then him flying off, and it's like done <laughs> and roll end credits. That's the ten dollars mid credit scene. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? I do want to just circle back around to um, Solo, though. Can I ask you? If you dropped, if you changed his name and dropped the Wookiee, dropped the Millennium Falcon, would that film work for you if it was not a Han Solo film and just a random Star Wars film? I mean, probably. I liked a lot of the other aspects, Mm -hmm. the like random, I can't even remember who they were, but you know, like the mask, like rated type deal, like that was all cool. Um, I didn't love the whole robot uprising dealio yeah like cut that just straight out i thought that was pretty there's a lot of things that i like about that film but i get enraged at when i hear his name Mm -hmm. you know and just what they're all those things that they did like you were saying and altering the legacy were just completely unnecessary and very annoying and i feel like there was a lot of potential there for something that was great in the vein of something that I want to see, which is, again, something that is familiar, that is part of this world, but that just doesn't kind of tread over... The problem with treading over the old ground again is that it's been done perfectly. Hmm. You know, it just doesn't need yeah, to be it's done. Like, so so you're supposed to go back and rewatch the original trilogy knowing that there's some robot inside the Millennium Falcon that was Han's mate like 40 years ago and 
that's a thing throughout all three of those movies. It's like mm. it's just not even it's just not even really believable mm. to that point. Yeah. I feel at least. So that's why my pitch is always going to be, and I think, I think it is in a similar vein to, um, especially Rogue One, in that it is adjacent to what is happening that we that we already know about. Mm. And to me, I, I just want to see something that is adjacent and also very very tonally different. Yeah, I do like yeah. the idea of having something that involves the Canto Bite people because I was a huge fan of that. Because in Clone Wars, it's mentioned that uh, hinted towards that the people who sell weapons to the Separatists were also selling weapons to the Republic. So I loved what Canto Bite did. Of all, of, there would be like a bunch of completely rich people that would be um, profiting off that war and that would still have that profits. You know, another yeah. what forty yeah. years after yeah. the Clone Which is Wars. Why, yeah. So I like the idea of having something set involving those people, mm. um, because I think that could be explored a lot more. Because they would be richer than Palpatine, like more than likely. Well, Palpatine's would, about power, not yeah, not riches. Whereas money. these people would would be about money specifically, because that's really like. And I feel like profiting to, off yeah. the to destruction me, of the galaxy. To me, those kind of people are what's going to attract people like the, the kind of people that want to steal. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like Palpatine, there's a lot of going to be a lot of fear and a lot of mystery around him for the kind of people who would be looking to pull a heist. Career criminals mm. might, might not necessarily gel so naturally. Um, I feel like you'd be more politically or um, you should be motivated by something that is a little bit more good side versus dark side would make more sense there. But I think that's why I kind of want to see something that is either basically a, uh, a heist comedy or a very, very tight, tense thriller. Because I feel like most of the Star Wars films, if not all of the Star Wars films, I mean, could you could just argue that they're all adventure or action films. Mm. It's hard to argue that there's any other Star Wars film that fits any other genre than action adventure. And I think it would be cool to just see something that is it just in a different genre in the same world. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the reason I lent that way... Um, with my initial thought is I don't know if you guys have ever played um, the game which is funny I didn't even bring this up on the last episode I was on with the video games but um, Star Wars Empire at War and Forces of Corruption yeah I've never Empire at War was just like your typical dark side light side dealio but then Forces of Corruption was the underworld and so you played as Tybazan and he was just a gangster and the whole storyline is essentially him stealing like building up and whatever and then stealing a sith artifact from kurtisant out of the vault swiping it and i've only just thought of this after i even told you what Mm. and i'm like oh wow i just explained that whole storyline of that game but (laughs) um yeah i can see where the underworld sort of style Mm. sort of thing fits a heist better like a zero Um, the hut kind of yeah organized yeah thing but if you center it around um tybazan and urifen um I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> having those back in canon. <laughs> you fantastic. son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> can, I, uh, can I ask one question? And you don't have to have an answer, but um, who would you cast as your protagonist? Oh, if you just had to pick one question. bit of casting, like one, oh. your one main cast member to build the rest of the cast around, who would you, who would you, who would you go for? Oh, that is a great question. That um, is who do you picture? Um, Other than yourself, Jack. It's interesting, no, Hero because... complex. <laughs> Weirdo. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to do, like, a Nutty Professor um, kind of vibe where I play all the characters. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Uh, wow, yeah. Um, I it's weird. I haven't got anyone. I didn't picture anyone in it. Um, I think because it's been such a long thing that I've worked on, and I was literally just trying to create a character in the universe. And it's only recently I've thought about it in a movie perspective. Um, but I guess it's got to be someone young. Um, and uh, I guess the go-to young person to put into a role now is Tom Holland. But I, I don't know if I would count on him mm. to have the like emotional chops. He's or, too or happy. The, like, or the, he, he ba- the badassery. I, I feel yeah, like, I feel he's, like he's got. Kid. I feel like he's a got fun. emotional chops. I feel like he's just a bit too... Uh, He's too, what was the word I was thinking of? Soft is the wrong word, but just like, he's a bit too lovable. You need someone with harder edges, yeah, I feel yeah. like, for your I, character. And so I don't really know who that is at the moment. Um, because films have died and time has lost all meaning. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, well, that- who's coming up next? Like, the only young, I can't, I, I, don't, I can't even really think of young people. I've been watching Community so much right now, and all I think of is like, Donald for everything. <laughs> um, but he's... he's He's already, he's already got a he's spot already in the universe. universe. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a re- that's a really who's a young actor at the moment. I have a pitch for you, Ethan. If you, do you don't reckon? already have someone, Florence Pugh. I'm gonna look that up because I'm not. As in fighting with my family, uh, she's about to be in Black Widow. She was in Little Women. Interesting. Okay. I'd like to, I'd like she to can, maybe go. I feel like she can play a range of ain- a a range of ages and um, a range of alignments i guess i was thinking probably more um either very very pale pointy face just because i feel like that aids to the um the pale pointy face <laughs> miss or, pale pointy face or, of or or, or um, <laughs> of <Lauren> order fame <laughs> julian jacobs or jasmine jobson who's from a uk tv show um who i think would play an excellent role as well um, yeah, I don't know. The, the, honestly, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have anyone off the top of my head. Maybe Miles Teller, but again, he doesn't have rough edges. He has like a squishy face. A squishy face. <laughs> so I don't know. What about you, Jim? Would you have anyone? You yeah. would cast as Bane. I really don't know because I always envisioned Bane, um, as like the original, like Red Sith. Um, mm. if you guys are familiar. The actual, um, like, Sith race kind yes. of thing? Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. I was going to say Tom Hardy, and then I realised he's already <laughs> he's another already Bane. Bane. But I feel amazing. like oh. the build-wise, the height-wise, he's like... I feel like he could do a good Bane. Mm. Who's the guy from Death Stranding? Oh, um... He also plays Daryl Dixon. He's got some weird name. Oh, um... <laughs> but I don't think it is a weird name. Uh, Norman Reedus? Norman, Norman Reedus. Reedus. Yeah, to be honest. I think that's who I'd have for... Oh, you would I have Norman Reedus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I love him. He's a bit old. <laughs> Maybe he can be the Jedi. They can use yeah. that amazing yeah, Marvel um, de-aging. de-aging technology. <laughs> well, then in that case, I want Robert De Niro and Samuel Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe Norman Reedus could be the Jedi that trains Lance Vado. That could work. Um yeah, so you don't... Do you have anyone in mind, Jim? No, no, I can't... I can't even really think of anyone. I, I, feel, sh- I should have thought of that. But actually, I feel like if- for your character, that Bane, it would work well to be similar... Well, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the main guy from The Mandalorian in anything, but mm. it worked as being mm. a no-one that I'd never seen before. So mm. I feel like for your character being... Ba- like, he is, he'd have to have a presence... But because he would, if he's going to be a red, like, Sith Sith, mm. 
then I don't think you'd have to be a, a familiar face for it to be like, oh, this character's cool. What I think you could just be It just like, needs to be someone with this. the exact right voice. Oh, what Ray Parker. Like? Ray Park? I reckon, is that his name? Park? Who played... Who played Maul. Darth Maul. <laughs> yeah. But, well, old yeah Ray, well, but old Ray um, Park, he's... I feel like he's more... What about like D- Dave Bautista, the dude who plays Drax? Yeah. That could... I don't know. But also, Tom Hardy actually is not a bad suggestion because I actually he has a really t- good bald head. Mm. Yeah, and I so picture Tom if Hardy you in there. Covered him in paint and put horns on. It might actually work really well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What and he's got that like he can do that really dark thing. Like yeah. he seems like not a fun guy to have a beer with. Yeah, that's it. What about you? Do you have anyone that you'd have in your comedy cast? No, I I don't know. I'd have to think about it because it'd need to be an ensemble. There'd need mm. to be a like it yeah. needed to be at least five people. Like Brad Pitt, George Clooney. Yeah. Yeah. Just off the top of my head. Don't totally Max, original. That one would be hard, like- but- <laughs> <laughs> See how good that de aging yeah. technology is. <laughs> de decomposing. But for real. De decomposing. <laughs> but for real. Rest in peace, Bernie Mac. Um all right, well we're at we're at an hour, we're at an hour and a half, so um that's yeah, that's way more than we were planning on there was some great pictures there disney hit us up you know and also yeah. uh, we'll the- only take 85 percent commission off all profits at the box office or 10 million dollars thank you yeah or just like um like what, what did uh sponsor Mark Hamill do just like um i just want residuals for any time you use lance vado and anything i'll be honest right. if they take my movie idea and then they just let me build a Star Wars video game and be the creative director of it. We're square. <laughs> There's that all. That's cool. <laughs> Honestly, I'd settle for just a seat at the premiere. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I'd I, settle for flights and a seat at the premiere. Yeah. I'd settle for a, a seat the next to Samuel original L. Jackson. Uh, prop from a TV show that people haven't seen, so I can't say. I would settle for um, the Mandalorian <laughs> armor. And anyone who's seen the last episode of that TV right. show knows what I want. Has people here not seen the last episode of that TV show? Yeah, I still haven't seen it. Just the host of the Star Wars podcast? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I've seen that TV show seven times now. Wow, I hated it. I watched it it for the... I hated it I need to watch time. it again. Cause... Watched it again this week after watching the gallery and 100% would recommend a great oh, TV show. I loved it. And then I was like, oh, hey, like my, my older brother, Will, have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. Cool. We'll watch it together. And then I was like, oh, Bryce, have you seen it? No. And so I've just worked my way around the group, <laughs> right. my group of friends. And every time someone hasn't seen it, you're watching it with me. Let's go. <laughs> well, can you do that to Jack, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've just, I just need to watch the last two episodes, which apparently are the only ones that Ethan cares about. So, well... They're, They're very good. good. Yeah. All right. Well, I uh, I will watch that at some point. And next week uh, on the show, we are going to do uh, we're going to talk about books. So mm-hmm. uh, and specifically Star Wars books, not just like Peter Rabbit and stuff like that. So uh, we could we could talk about Peter Rabbit. All right. Well, you swayed me. We're going to talk about <laughs> Peter Rabbit next week. It's going to be a, a bit of a tangent episode. So um, yeah, thanks for joining me, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time. Sayonara. Yeah. Thank you.